Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana. Powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association. Your Montana Electric Cooperative. They do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. It's David Noble filling in for Aaron Flint. And we have James Brown, the PSC commissioner and chair, on the line with us. Uh, Commissioner Brown, thanks for calling in. Good morning, David Noble with a K, and I know what you're thinking, and the answer is yes, I do feel good. <laughs> Love it. Hey, we, before we jump into some of these other topics and start taking phone calls, I've got a message here from Montana Joe in Billings. She says, can you ask the PSC to discuss smart meters? Thanks. Happy New Year. Uh, so I don't know if you've got any comments on smart meters. I certainly don't. Uh, I do, yeah. So... This is a topic uh, de jour here at the Public Service Commission, and so by way of background, uh, Northwestern Energy has been engaged in an initiative to implement uh, smart meters across its uh, customer base. But in 2021, the Montana legislature passed a law that gives customers the authority to opt out of receiving uh, one of these smart meters and then gave us as the commission rulemaking authority to address that. And so we did do that. We created a tariff scheme where customers can opt out of the smart meters. And so what's happening is, is that as Northwest Energy has progressed in installing these smart meters, there's some complaints from the public. I would say more than some. We're hearing from quite a few customers that uh, Northwest Energy isn't uh, being a good corporate uh, partner and is not allowing people to uh, opt out when they should. And so um, we are actually in dialogue with Northwest Energy about that uh, right now, and we um, will take commission action if we need to to ensure that uh, Northwest Energy is complying with our uh, regulations and state law. Okay, good to know. I I did not know that. Well, let's take a call here on uh, Lee and Kalispell. Uh, Lee, thanks for calling. This is about your uh, supporting what you said earlier in the last hour about when you're voting for the president, you're not actually voting for the president. How, remember when uh, Biden said that uh, if you uh, if he says the wrong thing, he'll be in trouble when he gets back to the White House. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, so. Uh- I think you're, are you, you must, uh, Lee, you must be talking about the, so when you vote for president, you're actually voting for the slate of electors, I think. Um, but yeah, Joe, Joe Biden has clearly kind of basically admitted that he's really not the president and not in control. Uh, James Brown, I don't know if you have any comments on that one. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily in, in anything that do with the PSC or, or your plans or anything like that. But if you want to chime in, go ahead. Well, the way that I would respond to that, of course, is, is that, you know, there's a lot of hoopla about what happened um, with the 2020 election and how the president is actually selected. I, I mean, if you look back at American history, <laughs> we we are not strangers to having controversial presidential elections. I mean, the 1872 hey, hold that. election. Hold that thought. We're up against the break. We'll be right back more with uh, Commissioner Brown. This is where Montana talks. Montana talks with Aaron Flint. 
We're talking to PSC Chair James Brown, former candidate for the Montana Supreme Court um, as well. Uh, Jim, sorry to cut you off there on that last uh, last break there. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. So it actually gave me an opportunity to correct myself. It was the 1876 presidential election, which, uh, as you probably know, was one of the most controversial in American history, where <clears throat> ultimately the winner of the popular vote, Samuel Tilden, did not end up being president. Rutherford Hayes ended up being president. And uh, the way that that came about was there was actually a compromise uh, in the United States Congress, where um, the threat of a filibuster and political violence was uh, withdrawn in exchange for making Hayes the uh, president in order to end federal reconstruction. So we certainly had controversy th- throughout our history in presidential elections, but uh, as the saying goes, watching what's happened in this country since 2018. Reminds me of the old Chinese adage, uh, may you live in interesting times, to say the least. Yeah, no kidding. You know, we've been talking a lot this morning about January 6th, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court decision, this latest decision from the Secretary of State um, in Maine. I don't know how much you caught it, but uh, curious to kind of hear your take on on kind of what's going on with the the Colorado Supreme Court, what's going on with Maine, uh, what's going on with all these Democrats uh, saying they can just just remove Trump from the ballot. Yeah, I, I mean, you and I are both uh, attorneys, um, and I, I can tell you, and I'm sure you feel the same way, I never thought in my lifetime where I would see our mutual legal profession, uh, you know. It's embarrassing. I mean, as as an attorney, it's embarrassing to see, see what some of these attorneys and courts are doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I never thought I'd see a state Supreme Court or even more troubling with what happened in Maine yesterday where a partisan secretary of state just unilaterally removed Trump from the ballot without any kind of due process, which is amazing. Um, you know, my thought on this is uh, exactly this. Uh, when, when I was preparing for our interview today, I, I figured that you might ask me about this, and one of the things that I wrote down um, is, is that setting aside the fact that the Colorado Supreme Court decision is going to be completely unsupportable as a matter of law is, is that I wrote down, and I'm going to quote myself here, if allowed to stand and if a candidate for the highest elected office in the land is not allowed to appear on a ballot, the Colorado court decision will empower other state official, namely partisan ones, and more specifically individual state secretaries of state to disqualify political opponents. Um, that's exactly what happened in the 24 hours that I wrote this. Uh, it raises clear due process concerns and is profoundly anti-democratic in nature. Um, but more important on that, uh, disqualifying a candidate from the ballot clearly runs afoul of United States Supreme Court's holding in 18, or 1964 decision, Reynolds v. Sims, where the, the U.S. Supreme Court stated, and I quote, the right to vote freely for the candidate of one's choice is of a is an essence of a democratic society, and any restrictions on that right strike at the heart of representative government. And I would certainly argue, and it is going to be argued, that the Colorado decision clearly imposes a restriction on the right of Coloradans to vote for a presidential candidate of their choice. That's a that's a great I mean, that's a great point. You know what's interesting about that is. 
Alan Dershowitz, you know, Alan Dershowitz, the, the, the renowned lawyer, Harvard law professor, he's, of course, on the outs with, with the Democrats now because he defended Trump in the Senate impeachment trial, strictly on a constitutional issue. But now he's not he's no longer invited uh, to any events or anything like that. But Dershowitz has been out there talking about that very issue that you just mentioned, which is we have a right as citizens, as voters to to to, to vote for who we want to. And, and so I, I think even Dershowitz may, may even be representing voters who want to write to vote for Trump in, in challenging some of these uh, attempts by these Democrats to remove him from the ballot saying, hold on, you're not you're not just violating Trump's rights. You're actually violating my rights as a voter by preventing me from voting for who I want to vote. I have a right to do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's that. As I just read you the quote from the United States Supreme Court. You know, the other thing that this brings to mind is when I ran for Supreme Court in 2022. One of the things that I talked about in my race that met with some uh, distaste or disdain from some uh, members of the legal community in Montana is I talked about the fact that I'm growing concerned as a as an attorney that the court system is being used as a proxy uh, for. <clears throat> Uh, overturning legislative decisions or trying to determine the outcomes of elections. And, you know, like I said, I took some heat for that in 2022, but, you know, a year and a half later, this is bearing out to be correct. And one of the other things I talked about, of course, during my race was that there used to be, as you know, David, uh, a pretty strong sentiment from the judiciary in the United States to avoid what are called political questions, right? Right. Uh, These would be clearly political matters that need to be resolved in the Democratic um, processes. Well, in the very what, the, what was so I was just going to say the, the very the very reason for having the political question doctrine was to maintain the respect for the judiciary because when the judiciary starts getting inserting itself into political issues, you then have the public lose respect for the judiciary and the rule of law. And frankly, you're seeing that 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 outcome here. It's it's, it's a travesty. It is. It, that's exactly what's going on here. I mean, the, the the way that it's manifesting itself, as we talked about, is, is one of the first things you read about from the Colorado Supreme Court decision was the fact that the seven members of that court were all appointed by a Democratic right. uh, governor. I mean, that that becomes like one of the lines, you know, in in a story. But the other thing that it points to is what I talked about in my Supreme Court race here uh, in Montana was is that the Montana Supreme Court has the reputation of evolving itself and political matters and the way that that really manifests itself hey, in this can you state is can you hold that thought I, I hate to cut you off there we got another break uh steven cascade tony in stevensville we'll get to you right after this too talking about the issues that matter to montana statewide this is montana talks with Aaron Flint. We're talking to PSC Chair James Brown. Uh, Jim, sorry I had to cut you off there. I'm not, I'm not as good at Aaron as uh, approaching uh, these commercial breaks. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, just to finish that thought, you know, we were talking about the Colorado Supreme Court and then, of course, the Secretary of State in, in Maine and my belief interfering with democratic processes, right? And then what I was talking about is the Montana Supreme Court has a history of doing that. And the way that they do that is by striking down ballot initiatives um, on a highly disproportionate rate. And what that does, of course, is interfere with the right of Montana citizens to use the initiative process to make 
law, which is as it's enshrined in our constitution. And I can give you several examples of that. Right in. Um, 1998, you know, voters uh, approved a constitutional initiative here in Montana that um, would have given the right of voters to uh, basically vote on tax increases, basically, a tax and expenditure limitation. That was struck down in 2016. You know, Montana's passed C-116, you know, Marcy's Law. That was struck down uh, by the court like just last year. Uh, we had the uh, property tax relief initiative, initiative. Court struck that one down before it even made it onto the ballot. Uh, just on November 22nd, um, uh, the the court, on the other hand, uh, allowed what you, some would consider a liberal type initiative to move forward, uh, which has to deal with um, basically how primary elections are conducted uh, in Montana. And you're you're not going to be surprised by this, David, knowing that. Montana Supreme Court doesn't isn't consistent in its decisions on a regular basis. Um, they allowed that one to move forward on grounds that they struck down uh, the three initiatives I just talked about. And so it goes back to what we were talking about, is, is that I have real concerns in, that in this country the courts are being used as uh, a proxy for democratic uh, decision-making. I'm with you. Let's go to Steve in Cascade. Uh, Steve, thanks for holding on. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Uh, you know, first of all, before my question, you, you, I vote, we voted for Mr. Brown for the Supreme Court. Same. I'm sorry he didn't make it. Me too. You guys are attorneys. I got a paralegal degree. I know a little bit. What is, how come the, the repubs didn't impeach Biden two years ago over Article 4, Section 4, for letting an invasion into the country? All right, good question. I'll, uh, I'll let t- uh, James Brown take that one. <laughs> Thanks for that, Sister David. Um, first of all, thank you for your vote and support. I, I did very well in my Supreme Court race. Uh, for someone who was in challenging an incumbent justice, I got 204,000 votes and I won 41 of the 56 counties. Unfortunately, I absolutely got pummeled in Missoula and Bozeman, so, um, did not prevail, but it was, uh, it was a worthwhile exercise because we were able to talk about the proper role of the courts as we're doing now. Um, I can't answer the question from the gentleman because I don't know what the thinking of the U.S. Congress was in the majority. And that, that's a better question, I think, for Zinke and Rosendale. Right, right. I mean, to me, to me, it seems to be a clear violation of, of Joe Biden's oath of office to, to faithfully execute the laws when he's simply not enforcing the laws on the border. Um, now, I don't know if violating your oath of office is an impeachable offense, but maybe it ought to be. Let's go to Tony in Stevensville. Uh, Tony, thanks for calling. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. So. I, I had a question about power, but the conversation has changed, so I'm going to change my question a little bit here. I'm very curious um, how the trial lawyers uh, going after Austin Knutson's law license, in a sense, how is that different than the Colorado court removing Donald Trump from the ballot? If for merely criticizing the state Supreme Court, an attorney can lose his law license, 
um, how much fear can they create uh, around that, and what is the cure to that situation to where three or four uh, unelected officials at the Trial Lawyers Association can decide who, who can and cannot have a law license and really put a lot of control on and constraints on on the, on the court. Well, it's not it's not the trial lawyers or trial lawyers association that get to decide that. I mean, we've got a whole we've got a whole system set up uh, to discipline attorneys, and and if attorneys engage in unethical conduct, anybody can fi- file a complaint against them, and then it goes through this process. And um, I. I think maybe maybe it was the trial lawyers that initially filed the complaint, and then there was this appointment of a like a special prosecutor because the main office of disciplinary counsel lawyer recused themselves. I'm not fully up to speed on on the process that they use there. I will say this, and I, I'm not an expert on the case against Knutson either, but uh, it didn't appear to me that he had done anything unethical. And frankly, when I first heard about it, my my first reaction was, well, hold on. We've got statutes in this state that allow you to move to disqualify a judge for bias. And so if if accusing a court of bias uh, you know, is unethical by an attorney, then the statute that allows an attorney to move to disqualify a judge in a case for bias is, is basically null and void, which which wouldn't make sense and, and doesn't isn't consistent. So I don't know if uh, uh, Commissioner Chair Brown, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I'll, a couple things. First, uh, for those that may not know, Tony Hudson is the caller here from Stevensville, is heading up the initiative to make Rodeo the state sport of Montana. So, Oh, nice. Tony, thank, thanks for doing that. Second thing is is that, yeah, as you stated, David, it's not, not the Trial Lawyers Association, per se, that's bringing the disciplinary proceedings against our Attorney General. It's the, it's the Disciplinary Council of the State uh, Bar of Montana, which, as you know, the State Bar is basically regulated by the Montana Supreme Court. The reason that the current um, disciplinary um, head, if you will, uh, had to recuse herself was because she worked She worked for uh, the Chief Justice of the Montana Supreme Court, and so there was an inherent conflict there. And what's really fascinating about it, as you stated, David, is, is that this is another example, in my belief, where um, you, the mechanisms of government are being used for improper purposes. In this case, um, the mechanism of the state bar and the disciplinary <clears throat> processes are being used uh, to go after a duly elected attorney general. And one of the remedies they're seeking, of course, is to disbar our attorney general, which in turn, if that happened while well, the attorney general was serving as the attorney general, then under the Montana Constitution, would he still be qualified <clears throat> to serve as attorney general? Because one of the criteria is you have to be a licensed so it's essentially Montana. I mean, it's it's. I mean, when I when I first heard about it, I, I thought, wow, this is this is almost identical to what they're doing to Trump. And of course, it, it's hilarious because traditionally these ethics complaints against lawyers, maybe they have three or four counts, you know, three or four counts or, of this. You know, a lawyer stole his client's money or a lawyer lied or something. You may have a couple of counts on, on it. There's like 41 different accounts here. It's, it's similar to Donald Trump being indicted four times. And Donald Trump always likes to point out. Donald Trump has been indicted more times than Al Capone. So there's literally been more indictments against Trump than Al Capone, uh, which is just uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, let's go to Ed and Whitefish. Um, Ed, thanks for calling. Hey, thanks for having me. Since I got two lawyers in the house, that cuts down my billable rate by 50%. <laughs> Doubles it, actually. 
Yeah, I was going to say it, it, it travels it, actually. <laughs> no, not, that's not how I read it. <laughs> so anyhow, 14th Amendment has five sections, right? The fifth yes. section states, and it's just one simple sentence. So I want to ask you guys' opinion on basically contract law, since what, what this is. Section 5 states that Congress shall have the power to enforce, by appropriate legislation, the provisions of this article. Does that also include Section 3 of that same amendment? Is it inclusive, or does Section 3 stand on its own? I'd have to have, the, I'd have, to have it in front of me to answer that one. I don't know. Do you know, uh, Commissioner Chair Brown? Yeah, I can give you my legal interpretation for what it's worth. Yeah, this is it. a this is a really this is a really astute question. I appreciate it. <clears throat> so here's what you know. I'm going to be like Carmack, right, from the Johnny Carson show, and this is going to be my prediction. So here's here's where I think this Colorado case is going to be resolved if the U.S. Supreme Court takes it up, <clears throat> and it's on turning on what's being discussed here. Is is that if you read if you read uh, the Fourteenth Amendment to the uh, U.S. Constitution, as, as uh, this gentleman was just saying, the, the fifth clause of that basically says is that Congress has the power to enforce uh, the rest of the, the provisions on that, right? And so, <clears throat> if you look at the uh, third clause, which is what the main Secretary of State in the Colorado Supreme Court are trying to disqualify Trump on, it basically says that the person, in this case Trump, has to uh, have committed rebellion or insurrection. So the fifth clause basically says that Congress enforces uh, all the provisions of the 14th Amendment. And so Congress has actually passed a statute. I, this, this surprises me that this hasn't been talked about much in these press articles. They actually passed a statute in the 1870s, I believe, which is 18 U.S. Code, Section 2383, which reads rebellion or insurrection. And it says, whoever incites sets on, sets on foot, assists, or engages in any rebellion or insurrection against the authority of the United States or the laws thereof or gives aid and comfort thereto shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than 10 years or both. And here's the clause and shall be incapable of holding any office under the United States. What's fascinating about that is, is that Congress has implemented statutory language to uh, carry out uh, Section 5 of uh, the 14th Amendment already. Nobody's discussing this. And so in my read... Colorado Supreme Court doesn't even have jurisdiction uh, to do what it did because it's a federal jurisdiction question and Trump would have to be charged by the feds with violating the statute in order to be yeah, we're so up, this is We're up against another break here. That's interesting you say that though because I have heard from numerous lawyers that Congress has not adopted implementing regs which is another reason this thing should have failed. This is where Montana talks ag with Lane Nordland. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has sparked some backlash from local farmers and ranchers in Nebraska after they purchased 370,000 acres of prime ranch land in the state. The Utah-based religious organization now owns at least $2 billion worth of agricultural terrain across the country. It now owns an estimated $134 million worth of agricultural land in Nebraska alone and is on track to surpass CNN founder Ted Turner as the single largest landowner in the country. 
Nebraska Farmers Union President John Hansen told news outlets that the land grab, as he called it, was artificially driving up land prices and forcing farmers out of business. He says it's not fair competition when folks bring in that much outside money and bid against local farmers and ranchers. The church is likely the largest landowner in Florida after buying almost 383,000 acres of timberland recently as well. In other news, the Montana Wheat and Barley Committee has chose to fund 27 applications for the 2024 research cycle, awarding over $2.2 million, a 33% increase over last year. To date, the Wheat and Barley Committee has funded over $37.7 million in research since its inception in 1967 to enhance the future of Montana's grain industry. I'm Lane Northline. Montana is talking here. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. We're talking to PSC Commissioner and Chair James Brown, and we were just talking about uh, this issue of of the insurrection and this provision implementing uh, this provision of the 14th Amendment. Uh, Commissioner Brown, I, I had heard previously from a number of people that one of the legal arguments that Trump has on this Colorado issue is that uh, the amendment specifically says Congress shall have the power to implement it. And it's not just, you know, Congress can implement it, but, you know, states can do it too. Or you No, know, Congress has the power to implement it. And I had heard that Congress hadn't actually passed anything to implement this in terms of setting forth procedures, setting forth how this is supposed to be done. And so, you know, Alan Dershowitz had made the argument that, of course, you want Congress to implement that provision of the 14th Amendment, because think about it. If you allowed a state Supreme Court to decide whether someone was an insurrectionist or not, you know, how how likely would it be? that the Alabama or the Mississippi uh, Supreme Court or state, for that matter, would have, uh, you know, faithfully really implemented that provision. So just from a, a common sense point of view. But what you're but that statute that you're talking about, the federal statute, it's actually under the crimes section um, of, of the U.S. Code. And so it's clearly a crime. And so what you would correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm what, what I'm hearing you say is that basically for for that provision to be enforced, you would have to have a federal prosecutor, a United States attorney, bring a criminal indictment against somebody, get the conviction, and then the court would have to basically prohibit you from being on the ballot as basically part of a criminal sentence. Is that is that right? Yeah, well, that, that, we're attorneys. <laughs> we make <laughs> arguments, right? This is This is my argument in my reading of the law. And what, what informs me on this is several fold, and, and a lot has to do with how the January 6th charges have come, right? <clears throat> uh, as you stated, if you look at the statute, 18 U.S. Code 2383, um, this federal statute contemplates prosecution, as you stated, by a federal attorney, trial by a court, decision by a jury, and the protection of due process at every step of the way, right? Now, compare what's happened in Maine and Colorado just in the last 10 days. Have any of those things happened? They have not. But what is notable about the statute and, and Colorado Supreme Court's decision um, finding, if you will, Trump committed insurrection without without a criminal proceeding, is, is that Department, keep in mind the Department of Justice has prosecuted hundreds of those involved in the January 6th event, 
And not a single person, not a single person from January 6th that I can find has been uh, charged with committing an insurrection or rebellion, despite what the press pushes out all the time. They have not charged any of these folks under this federal statute. Why do you think about that? I think that Trump I, has not been charged. No, sorry. Trump go, has not been charged. Sorry, go ahead. Say that again. Trump has not been charged in any court right. with a uh, crime of insurrection under this statute or any other statute. I want you to think about that and your listeners to think about that. I think that's um, very, very telling. What he's been charged with is these amorphous, ephemeral crimes like conspiracy to you know, defraud the U.S. or conspiracy to make a, a false statement. I want, to, I want to get a couple of callers in here. Uh, let's go to John in Kalispell. John, thanks for calling. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, Jim, it's always good to hear you. And your Thank opinion. You. The interesting thing is, is that if you take a look at the whole of how America has operated uh, in the last 30 or 40 years, it is the court systems that have in, uh, inserted themselves into the policymaking process through uh, legal challenges, so on and so forth. The prime example is what just took place with the Montana Supreme Court in regards to a 30-day notice for a mobile home park owner that gives a 30-day notice, and the Montana Supreme Court says that that 30-day month-to-month rental agreement is now in perpetuity, and they cut it out a whole cloth. Regardless of what the legislature and the people do, and the problem that we have is the attorneys are the, also the ones that run the system in regards to discipline on judges or the Supreme Court uh, on discipline on judges, and you can't get rid of judges that violate the law, and there is no protection for the citizens against judges and their outright denial or uh, abdication of following the actual written law in the state of Montana. So a couple of comments there, there John. I, I would say... Um, you can if if a judge commits a violation of law or a violation of the judicial canons, you can file com- complaints with a, a, a judicial commission. That I think I believe they can remove the judge. Of course, and of course, if a judge commits an error of law, you, you can appeal it. Um, I'm still I still happen to be a true believer. I, I still happen to be be a true believer that our courts and our judiciary can function as intended. I think that's why it's so important to get people in there that that are true believers that want to faithfully you know implement the law the sad thing and this has kind of been the theme here this the sad thing is is that when the courts have kind of gone away from their traditional roles that in itself has has created a distrust of the judiciary um and it's unfortunate because then you hear from the democrats that it's actually the republicans criticism of the judiciary that's causing this uh public disrespect for the judiciary when in my opinion it's actually some of these decisions that are are doing it uh commissioner brown any thoughts on that yeah, first of all, uh, John, good to hear from you. Um, thank you for all you do uh, on behalf of citizens and for your service to the state. I'm certainly aware of the decision of the Supreme Court that you were referring to. I, I would say that I agree with you that's an erroneous decision relating to the 30-day notice for tenants. But um, I, I would echo what, what uh, David said is, is that, you know, um, what concerns me about Montana is, is that the, you know, the Montana is pretty, Montana Constitution is pretty clear that there are three separate and distinct branches 
uh, of government in Montana. And what's concerning me is is that the the courts have taken measures, in my belief, to insulate themselves from some of the protections that you would other get as a citizen from the legislative and uh, executive branch. And one of the things that comes to mind in this regard is that deals going back to the Austin Knutson situation was when the attorney general tried to get emails of justices to determine whether or not they had made predetermined decisions on certain cases. Basically, the Supreme Court shut that down, and I'm not sure how, how they could even do that when Montana Constitution right to know provision doesn't exempt, specifically exempt the judiciary from having uh, its public records viewed either. I mean, it's so what's the mechanism for enforcing that? Well, as David said, you you have the mechanics of the state bar itself, which I talked about, uh, is governed by the <laughs> Supreme Court. So in a way, there's concern, and rightfully, that the, um, what is it, the Fox is uh, guarding the hen house, right? So, well, there's also, I mean... Uh, there's also the fact that our our our, our judges in this state are, are are elected, and so if you know if people don't like a judge, uh, you can you can throw them out of office in the next election. These are these are political solutions, and so it's not just oh throw up our hands we can't do anything. These are judges that are elected by the people, and if the people don't like what they're doing, they can throw them out. I will, let me just throw this out there. Let me just put this out there. Okay, I've been practicing law for over a decade, and a lot of cases here in Yellowstone County, a lot of cases at the Montana Supreme Court. We do have a lot of good judges that I think are doing a, a, a genuine good faith job on the bench. I, and frankly, most of most of my cases, when you're dealing with a contract dispute, a business dispute, property disputes, I think I think our judges in Montana are, are a lot of them are really trying to just apply the law. It, it's really these hot button issues uh, when when you're talking about you know throwing out legislation, you're talking about access to the ballot. I think it's those issues where maybe I, I start to think that the courts are maybe going beyond what their original interpretation is. But I've had I've had cases at the Montana Supreme Court where I thought they've done a fantastic job. Lots of cases in front of judges at the district court level here in Montana. Montana, where I thought the judges have done a really, really good job. I've gotten really, really good, well-reasoned decisions from the Montana Supreme Court. So I just wanted to throw that out there. No, that's fair. And I, I would agree with you that um, when I was asked during my Supreme Court run, you know, how often do I think I disagree with uh, Montana judicial decisions? And I've stated, frankly, probably 5% of the time, because a lot of it's just run-of-the-mill type stuff, as you were stating, like contract dispute or probate or uh, divorce or whatever that sort of thing. I, I, I mean, I think the I think the district courts in Montana do a really good job. But this goes back to the discussion that we were having basically at the top of the hour. Is is that the concept of judicial restraint, which used to be a a pretty practiced concept in this country, in my opinion, has gone out the door. And so what you're seeing, as we've talked about and as I've stated for years, is that you're seeing policy decisions that are now bleeding over to the court system, and you're not having judges. Um, take the prerogative that they can to say, basically, this is a political dispute. I'm I'm not touching this. This needs to be resolved in the public sphere. Yeah, I mean, I, I was commenting earlier this morning about how interesting it is that here on a political talk show, all we're doing is talking about a bunch of court cases and court decisions and everything else. And I think that kind of says it all. Let's get a, another call in here. We got Jerry in Hamilton. Uh, Jerry, thanks for calling. Oh, you know what? Jerry, I apologize. As soon as I put you on, I started hearing the bumper music. Uh, I'm no Aaron Flint, folks. I am no Aaron Flint. We'll get the Jerry and Hamilton right after this. I'll be right back.
Broadcasting live across the great state of Montana. Powered by the Montana Electric Cooperative Association. Your Montana Electric Cooperative. They do much more than keep the lights on for you. This is Montana Talks with Aaron Flint. I guess it's amateur hour here on Montana Talks with the guest host taking phone callers with 20 seconds left. Uh, we got Jerry uh, in Hamilton. Jerry, thanks for calling. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Stop beating yourself up, man. You're doing a great job. <laughs> All right, thanks. Hey, uh, Commissioner Brown, I was wondering your opinion on the, the Trump case, uh, of the chances of the Supreme Court not wanting to get caught in the middle of it or get their hands all dirty and just punting it over to Congress. What's your opinion on that? And uh, Merry, or Happy New Year to both of you. Hey, you I'll too. Listen, I'll, I'll listen offline. You got this one, Commissioner right. Brown? Yeah, thanks for that call. That, uh, it's a great question. It's, it's one that I've certainly been uh, thinking about for about the last week. Um. As David knows, the you know the United States Supreme Court is pretty low to take any kind of case, uh, let let alone one as uh, politically charged uh, as this one is. I mean, the, what the U.S. Supreme Court grants less than one percent of all appeals. To right. it. I, I would say the preference, clearly as stated by the Chief Justice uh, in many public speeches, is is that he wants the court to not be involved in these kinds of decisions. Because, as you stated, David, it starts to harm the reputation of the court and the um, impartiality of the same. But what what's happening is, is through these decisions like this action by the main Secretary of State, who unilaterally removed Trump from the ballot, which is just it's just unbelievable from a due process standpoint. Um, the, the court's being pushed into a corner where I think it will probably have to address. Um, one of these cases by by November of this year. I'm not sure it's going to take it up immediately because I don't. I, I think it. Some of these primary questions are starting to resolve themselves. Like the Colorado court just stayed its own decision on Trump appearing on the ballot sua sponte, so Trump will appear. Um, but I think these kinds of decisions by the main Secretary of State in Colorado Supreme Court are designed to get the Supreme Court involved. Honestly, right. And I, I I've been thinking if I'm on the Supreme Court. You know one thing I really don't appreciate? I don't appreciate everybody else telling me what case I have to grant cert for and which cases I don't. So if I'm on the Supreme Court and I see all this chatter out there about, oh, the Supreme Court's going to take this case, the Supreme Court's going to take this case, the Supreme Court has to take this, this is going to be a 9-0-9. If I'm on the Supreme Court, I may say, you know what? We get to decide what cases we take, not you and not the public. And, and frankly... Who who cares what happens with this Colorado Supreme Court? I mean, Donald Trump's going to win the primary election either way. They stayed their own decision. I saw something this morning. The main the main Secretary of State even stayed her own decision. And so, I don't know if I'm on the Supreme Court, I, I might be a little bit annoyed at this notion that everybody else gets to tell us what case we have to take. Yeah, that's a fair point. We've got uh, potentially another caller here, but we've got we've got the PSC chair on the line. We haven't even talked about energy. Um, I know, uh, uh, Commissioner Chair Brown. I've, I think you've got some thoughts on uh, energy resource adequacy here in Montana. Yeah, real quick, and this builds on the conversation we were had when Brian Zinke was on your program. Um, you know, the, the biggest thing that we're worried about at the Public Service Commission, which is what I want to uh, convey to your listeners is is that we have real concern about 
grid reliability and a, and a looming crisis in this country. Um, and where that's coming from is is that what we're having is seeing is premature retirement of dispatchable electric electricity resources. And um, as FERC Commissioner Mark Christie commented uh, in September, the problem with uh, ensuring firm power in the United States, particularly the western part of the United States, is not necessarily the addition of wind and solar to the grid, but rather the retirement of dispatchable resources such as uh, coal and natural gas. Um, we are seeing retirement of baseload power at such a rate that uh, new sources of energy are not able to come online fast enough, and that, that's resulting in real concerns of regulators like me uh, about keeping the lights on, um, you know, isn't that, isn't that incredible? That's that's where yeah. we're at in the, Uni- the United States in 2023. We've got rolling blackouts all across the country. I, I saw a report heading into last summer where it was something like 60 to 70 percent of the country was at risk of blackouts. We can't we can barely keep the lights on because these Democrats are, are destroying our power grid. It's insane. It is. Yeah. And we talked about this with Ryan. I, I, I've never seen a government, first world government like ours, which used to do policies to ensure that our citizens had access to affordable food and power, right, which creates prosperity, now taking actions that undermine our ability uh, to maintain the standard of living we do. It's it's crazy. Well, the, the other thing, too, that I was thinking, you're, you're sitting there talking about how we're removing baseload power at the same time that we're supposed to be adding all of these electric vehicles and electric appliances and getting rid of our gas-powered stoves and going to electric stoves and getting rid of our gas vehicles and going to electric vehicles at the same time that we're, we're tearing down electric dams and we're getting rid of coal-fired uh, power plants and we're getting rid of... Where does this end? The way the way I see this ending, we don't have cars and we don't have electricity. What, what other end does this result in? Yeah, that's well stated. And then the other curiosity in all this with the dam situation, which we talked about, of course, is Biden, one of the very first executive orders he implemented in January 21 was this uh, clean uh, uh, clean energy goal by 2040, right? And then what does the Biden administration do? Starts uh, trying to tear down dams, uh, hydroelectric power, which is one of the cleanest forms of power. Totally bizarre. Totally bizarre. Hey, thanks so much for coming on. All right, good to talk to you. Hey, and thank you to all the listeners out there. Appreciate you so much. Thank you for all the callers we've had while I've been filling in. Thanks for all the messages. Uh, I'll be excited to hear Aaron Flint in 2024.